Well, friends, if you have your Bible, please turn with me to the book of Acts. We're looking at chapter 1 today. For the next four weeks, we are in Mission and Mercy March, which is a time in our church calendar where we focus on our two core values of global missions and mercy and justice. And friends, in fact, we believe these values are so important to our church that we decide to take a month of the year to just focus and consider and make sure our congregation understands and knows where we are, our position, and our passion, and our plans to pursue global missions and mercy and justice. And so this week and next week, we are in uh, global missions. The next third and fourth week, we are then looking at mercy and justice. Now, we're in the book of Acts today, which is also our series that we've been going through uh, we are going to look at verses 4 to 9, and I know we've already covered verses 4 and 9, uh, but we are going back and we're going to dive a little bit deeper. Uh, but I will say to you, uh, this may be my uh, shortest sermon that I will ever preach. And so you have that to look for. Dan, is, you're way too excited for that, brother. Um, so friends, would you stand with me as your act of worship to read and receive God's holy word? It comes to us in the book of Acts, and we're reading verses 4 to nine, hear now the reading of God's holy and perfect word. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. And would you pray with me once more as we ask God's blessing? Father, we know that you speak to us through your word not only through the Psalms and the prophets, but you speak to us even through narratives like this, historical reports. And this you have given to us, Lord, so that we, your church, would know your heart and understand your passions and your desires and therefore align ourselves with you. For Father, it is not our job to align you with us, but always to take the posture of humility and submission so teach us, Lord, inform us and shape us and give to us convictions individually and give to us convictions, Lord, as a body. Give to us, Lord, vision individually, but give to us vision corporately as a body. We pray and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we have a full service today, so I'm jumping straight into it with this gospel truth. Here's a one-sentence summary of today's sermon. God sends the promised spirit to his people to reach the end of the earth with the good news. God sends the promised spirit to his people to reach the end of the earth with the good news. As we focus on global missions, here's where we must begin. Missions is only possible because of the Holy Spirit. There is no other way. If you look at verses 4 and 5 in our text today, they show us that Jesus, when he was talking with his disciples while still on earth, always intended to send the Holy Spirit. This is why the Spirit is referred to as the promise of the Father. The Father had made a promise that he would one day send his Spirit unto his people. And it's important to know because it means the Spirit was not a decision made on the fly. As if Jesus ascended into the heaven and the triune God was confused as to what to do next and therefore decided, well, Spirit, maybe it would be good for you to go and be with them. 
Rather, it was always in the Father's plan that the Son would ascend and then the Spirit would descend. It was always the Father's plan in that order that the Son would ascend and the Spirit would descend. And that was planned by God because it was His way of equipping and empowering His people to do His mission work. Now, why is that so important? And the reason is this, because the descended Son of God who came to this earth, He accomplished our salvation. He did so much, but there was something that the descended Son could not do that the descended Spirit could do. What is that? What do I mean? Well, if you look at verse 4, it says this. He ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father. You see, Jesus was saying to his disciples, hey, guys, stay here. The promise is coming soon. And if you want to do my work out here in this world, you need to wait for him. Don't leave Don't miss out on him. You will absolutely need him. And then in verse 8, Jesus actually tells us why we will need the Spirit. And in verse 8, he says, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. You see, Jesus is saying that the power of the Holy Spirit is necessary to fulfill his purpose of global mission. And that mission is to be his witnesses, the witnesses of Jesus Christ into the end of the world. Now, all of the apostles saw Jesus. That's actually one of the qualifications of being an apostle. It meant that you saw the resurrected Jesus. And so these apostles, they've seen Jesus, they've witnessed him with their own eyes, and they see him in a way that none of us will ever see him. None of us will ever see the risen on this side of eternity, the risen Lord Jesus Christ. And it's often tempting to think, well, that's why they were so bold to do missions. I mean, if I saw and I encountered Jesus like Apostle Paul did in Acts chapter 9 on the Damascus Road, if you encountered Jesus, wouldn't you feel more emboldened to do ministry, to do evangelism, to do missions? You know, if if we called that after service that we were going to go door-to-door evangelism and say, you know, who's up, you know, who's willing to do it, I think all of you all of a sudden would start getting busy and you would have places to be. Right? If I said, hey, we're, I'm buying lunch for everybody, I think all of you somehow, all your plans would be canceled and you would be able to show up. But something about evangelism, something about mission, something about sharing the gospel makes us afraid. And we think, well, maybe if I saw Jesus, that would make my evangelism uh, more confident, more courageous. But whether or not you've seen Jesus with your own eyes, that is not the determining factor of why missions is possible, or rather, why missions and witness can be effective. You see, if you are a Christian, you must know this. If you are a Christian, you are not less advantaged than the disciples when it comes to mission and evangelism. And the reason is because the power for the effectiveness of witness and mission comes through the Holy Spirit. And the same Holy Spirit that descended upon the apostles in the book of Acts is the same Holy Spirit who has descended and now lives and resides in you. The apostles weren't more powerful, effective, or bold or courageous in their mission because they saw Christ with their own eyes. It was because they had the presence of the Spirit in them. And that same Spirit now lives in you. The disciples... They saw Jesus. Acts 1-4 tells us that for 40 days after his resurrection, Jesus hung out with his disciples. He talked. He trained them. He did one-on-one discipleship with his disciples. And yet that wasn't enough for them to be ready for mission. 
You would think that would make sense. Jesus trains his disciples for 40 days. He pours into them and says, okay, now you've seen me. Now you know my teaching. Go out and do missions. And yet that's not what Jesus says. Jesus says, you've seen me face to face. You've learned under my teaching, but you're still not ready. So go to Jerusalem and wait, because the only way you'll be ready is if you receive the promise of the Holy Spirit. This is why the Son needed to ascend so that the Spirit could descend and the work of God's mission gets started here in this world. Now, on the one hand, don't we often think, wouldn't mission just be so much easier? Wouldn't it be 100% effective if Jesus were just physically still around? I oftentimes think that way too. How could anybody deny Jesus? How could they not believe in him? If you see Jesus, if you touch Jesus, if you talk to Jesus, wouldn't you just believe? He would, he, he would be uh, the missionary with, with the best, most perfect track record. Everyone he evangelized to would be a believer. And if Jesus were still around, we wouldn't need apologetics. Jesus would be the perfect apologetic. We wouldn't need a, a Ravi Zacharias around. We would have Rabbi Jesus around. And he would be the most perfect missionary and evangelist. Yet in God's wisdom, he decided that it was better that the Son ascend and the Spirit descend. Why? Because it all lies in this preposition. Preposition, not a proposition. This preposition. There's a very famous verse in John 1, verse 14. Some of you may know it off the top of your head. It's this. Uh, and the Word became flesh. The Word, Jesus became flesh, and he dwelt among us. Right? Jesus took on human nature and he lived among us, presently, physically with us. But take that verse and compare it to the one in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, where Jesus says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Or what the NIV says is, the Spirit has come on you. Now, do you see and catch the difference there? John 1 is saying, when the Son of God became human and he took on flesh, that he did so to dwell among us. Among us, in our midst, in our presence. But the Spirit of God, because He is Spirit, He dwells in us. You see, there's a radical difference between dwelling among us and dwelling in us. If Jesus never ascended, if Jesus stayed on earth, surely He would be dwelling among us, among His people. But then that means Jesus would only be at one place at one time. Yeah, sure, Jesus would be totally effective and powerful in his evangelism, but he could only reach some people at some time. And the progress of the gospel would be so incredibly slow. The kingdom of God would be advancing, but at a snail's pace. So in God's divine wisdom, he decided to go another way. He decided than rather having the Son of God among us, that he would send the Spirit to live in us. And on the day of Pentecost, in Acts chapter 2, he sent the Spirit of Christ himself to now indwell his living people. Friends, when you go out, and our church, we do missions, when we go out into the world on mission, we go with the very presence of Christ through the Holy Spirit. The most famous mission, task, uh, mission passage is the Great Commission in Matthew 28. Some of you may know it. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Very powerful commission of Jesus Christ. But look at the way it ends. It ends with this little promise. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. That was a promise of presence. Jesus says, if you do missions, don't worry, I'm going to be with you. It's like a child going into the dark. They want to hold mom's hand. Jesus is saying, I'll hold your hand. I'll be with you. 
And that's a great promise. But then Jesus ascends and the disciples are thinking, didn't you say you would be with us? But now you're leaving us. And Jesus is saying, no, I'm making good on my promise because now my presence with you isn't through my physical body. My presence with you is now through my spirit. And so Jesus makes good on the promise of presence by sending his Holy Spirit on us. But if you read Matthew 28, it doesn't begin, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. It actually begins the verse before in verse 18, where Jesus actually begins by saying this, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. He's saying, you have confidence to do mission, not only because of my presence, but because of my power. And what does it say in Acts 1.8? But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Jesus offers himself to the church in order to empower them to do the task of missions by giving two promises, the promise of his power and the promise of his presence. Jesus then ascends into heaven and we're going, what happened to your promise? And Jesus is saying, I didn't forget. I'll give you my power. I'll give you my presence by giving you my spirit. And so the spirit comes and he now empowers the church with his power and his presence to do his missions. And that's such good news because the same spirit that came and fell upon God's people in Acts 1 is the same Holy Spirit who comes and falls upon the church now. The spirit who empowered the early church to do life-changing world revolutionary missions is the same spirit who's empowering the contemporary church today. You know, we're given the Holy Spirit for many things. He convicts us, he comforts us, he counsels us. But here we see that chief among them, the spirit empowers us to participate in the work of God's mission to reach the end of the earth with the gospel. Jesus not only does that, but he also lays out a plan. He doesn't only say what I want you to do, but here's the plan. Here's the route I want you to take. He draws a map for them. He says, listen, the gospel is going to reach three areas. It's going to begin Acts chapter 1 or 8. You're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem. And then to all Judea and Samaria, the second region. And finally, to the end of the earth. And there you see something very interesting about Jesus' heart and his passion. First, you see, I want you to stay in Jerusalem. Why Jerusalem? Because they're in Jerusalem. They're already there. So Jesus believes in local missions. Why Lansdale? Why Jenkins Avenue? Why this borough? Why this town? Because Jesus believes in local missions. But then Jesus says, but I don't want you to only stay locally in Jerusalem. I want you to go to Judea and Samaria, which means Jesus has a heart for greater Philadelphia. He has a heart for the East Coast. He has a heart for North America, which is why as Deacon Jong was praying, we want to think and care now about church planting And we want to think kingdom because Jesus cares not only about local mission, he cares about regional mission. So now it's the burden of our church to begin not only looking at this neighborhood, but begin looking out a few miles out. North, south, east, west, we're looking. But Jesus' heart isn't only for local mission, it's not only for regional mission. His ultimate end, the end game of all that he's come to do is a global mission. Because he wants that gospel to leave out of Jerusalem, to go to Judea and Samaria, and finally reach the end of the earth. You see, the question and the burden of our church is not whether we should be local or whether we should be global. It's the fact that we need to be local and global. That's the calling of God's church. Now, why is it important? Why is it so important that the gospel reach the end of the earth? Why is it so important that a witness for Christ reach the end of the earth. The gospel reaches the whole world. And that's because the good news needs to reach every place that the bad news has already reached. 
The gospel needs to reach the end of the earth. Why? Because sin has already reached the end of the earth. Sin has affected, affected every single person to the end of the earth. You know, if you turn on the news, you cannot avoid reading, seeing, or hearing anything about the coronavirus. And now this pandemic, they're calling it, is being reported, you know, in so many other countries, even here in the United States. In this past week, the director general of the World Health Organization uh, said this in an interview, which I just found really fascinating. This is what he says. No country should assume it wouldn't get cases. That could be a fatal mistake, quite literally. This virus does not respect borders. It does not distinguish between races or ethnicities. It has no regard for a country's GDP or level of development. What is he saying? He's saying this virus does not give preferential treatment. And reading this, it sounded so familiar. Because as he describes the virus, you know what he's really describing? He's describing sin. That the effects of sins and its consequences of death, it does not care about borders. It does not care about your race or your ethnicity or your education or your status. Sin has come for all. Sin has affected all. It does not play favorites. Sin is not a racist. Sin is not an elitist. Rich or poor. Healthy or sick. Educated or not. Single or married. Child or grandparent. Sin has reached the end of the earth. And it's because the bad news has reached the end of the earth that it's the commission of the church to take the good news and to also reach the end of the earth. You see, friends, the church has the good news that in Jesus Christ, sin's curse can be lifted, can be reversed, that there can be healing. You know, think about it this way. If, if an antidote or some kind of vaccine was discovered for the coronavirus by a group of scientists, and it's, it's found out that they have it, and then they go and say, what are your plans to get it to everybody who's sick and infected? And they say, well, it'd be really inconvenient what about my children? I mean, if, would I have to leave? Would I have to give up something? And they th- thought about every inconvenience and every discomfort of having to leave their city in order to take this saving solution out to the world. And they said that. How many of you would read that in the paper and say, hmm, makes sense? We just know something about it would not sit right in our hearts. And yet consider the modern church. We have the solution. We have the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. How are we getting the good news out to the end of the earth? Because if you believe in him, if you are one of his own, that means you are cured. Sin has no effect over you. That your eternal end and destination has been rewritten. It's not eternal death anymore. It's eternal life. It's freedom and forgiveness. Because Jesus Christ came for you. And so if we take that good news and we think about it, how are we then positioning ourselves, commissioning ourselves, looking at the world, looking at even our own Christian lives through this lens of how can we maximally get this gospel out to the end of the earth? Because in the history of God's people, there has always been somebody who has taken that good news out. 
The gospel began in Jerusalem. Jesus said, wait in Jerusalem, the Spirit will come upon you. Imagine if they came upon them, they're in Jerusalem, and then everyone said, well, you know, it's a little, Judea is kind of far, Samaritans, we don't really like them. And they just stayed in Jerusalem. Then none of us would ever be here. You are only in this room, if you are a believer and a Christian, you are only in this room having heard the gospel because there was somebody who counted the cost of the inconvenience and the uncomfortability and all the sacrifice of leaving Jerusalem and going to Judea and Samaria. And the book of Acts is recording that for us, that the gospel did, in fact, leave Jerusalem. So in Acts 8, we see in verses 1 and 4 this, And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered through the regions. They left Jerusalem, and they were scattered through the regions of Judea and Samaria. But what did they do there? Now, those who were scattered went about preaching the word. The good news had to reach Judea and Samaria. Why? Because the bad news had already reached there too. But the gospel doesn't stop there because you keep reading through not only Acts 8, but you get to Acts 28, and you see Apostle Paul is in prison in Rome, in Rome. And this is what we see Luke writing. From morning till evening, he, that is Paul, expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus. The gospel had to continue. It had to get to Rome. Why did it have to get to Rome? Because the bad news had already gotten to Rome. And it's not only Judea, Samaria, and Rome. Listen to this sobering truth. There's not a single place here on this earth where sin's effects are not felt and experienced by every single living, breathing person. Like a virus, sin has crossed into borders like Bulgaria and Bangladesh. Sin, like a virus, has crossed into countries like Cambodia and China. Sin doesn't need a passport to travel. The question is, then, is the good news also crossing borders and into countries? And praise be to God that he is sending witnesses of his good news into those very places. I thank God, and I rejoice, and I hope you do too, that even as small as we are here at Cornerstone, we can partner and we can support some of these missionaries who are in those exact countries. We have Grace with us today, who is in Bulgaria. We have coming to our retreat, Amy and Sung, who are in Bangladesh. We have coming next week, John Lee, who's preparing to go to Cambodia. We had two years ago, Ruth and James, who are in China. We had Oksun, who was here last year, or a year and a half ago, visiting from Germany. Praise God that we are able to support and partner together with people who are taking that good news and saying, borders, countries, well, if bad news has reached the end of the earth, then I will go to the end of the earth. And friends, it's not just them. Yes, not all of us are called to go on missions, but we're all called to participate because we all have the Spirit of God. And so we participate. We participate through partnering and supporting and encouraging and praying and learning and going and giving. I think so many of us, if you grew up in youth group, you think of short term, oh, I, get, I, I do missions by going. And then you get older and you have a family and you have some money and you don't want to go. So I, I participate by giving and we go going, giving, going, giving. There's partnering. There's encouraging. There's learning about missions. There's being burdened by missions. There's praying for missions. There's so many ways that we, the church, are called to participate in God's mission. And as I wrap up, here's how we must, this is what, the last thing we must remember. The burden is not ultimately on us. You know why? Because when Jesus gives the missions, he gives two impossibilities, an impossibility of duration and a possibility of destination. What do I mean? An impossibility of duration. He says in the Great Commission that I'm going to be with you always to empower you for this mission to the end of the ages. 
then until Jesus comes back, mission will continue. It is an impossible duration. But then in Acts 1.8, Jesus also gives an impossible destination. How far will the gospel go? It'll go to the end of the earth. Really wrap your mind around to those two impossibilities. How far, how long? To the end of the ages, to the end of the earth. In church, that is an impossible task for us to do, but it is not an impossible task for God to do. And so as he sends his spirit upon us, his church, and he empowers us by giving us the promise of his presence and his power, we then respond in obedience as we desire to take the good news of Jesus Christ to the end of the earth. Let's pray.